understanding yet, Lord, but a way that's really special for them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in penance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. So we've been in these words these last couple of weeks. And um, unless God tells me otherwise, we're going to stay here. And um, according to Isaiah, repentance and rest lead to salvation and quietness and trust lead to strength. Um, so I guess we, we need to look at what salvation means and what strength means and uh, what does all that mean. So the last couple of weeks, <coughs> we've been talking about salvation and what that might mean beyond this idea of first coming to know Jesus. And we looked at Psalm 34 and some other scriptures that showed us that to be saved according to scriptures, not to be yanked out of our external circumstances and put back in somewhere where everything's perfect externally, uh, but rather it's much more this sense of finding rest and peace and being open wide and free whilst we live in this place which is uh, not which we were designed to be, because you were designed to be in Eden and you are now not in Eden. You are east of Eden, as the Bible says, which means you're not there. You're not in the place you were designed to be in. And we looked at Jesus' words to the people of his day and saw that the state of their hearts was more important than their outward oppression. Now that's not to say Jesus enjoys seeing you in difficulty or he thinks it's a good thing. He doesn't. But this is key. Our freedom from oppression and suffering doesn't seem to be Jesus' primary concern. Because to be saved from trouble is to be taken from a restricted place to a place of spaciousness. And of course, I don't say it's not his concern, I just mean it's not his primary concern concern because whilst you're on this earth you're not going to escape it you're not going to escape the challenge of life because you're living in a world you're not designed for so it's never going to go away you may well have money in the bank today you may not tomorrow you may have friends today you may not tomorrow you may have health today you may not tomorrow likewise you may not have money in the bank and you may have it tomorrow and you may have health tomorrow but really these things this is called life and Jesus said this Everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous for I have conquered the world. So it's clear to me that Jesus doesn't say he's going to take away all trouble and sorrow. That's not what he seems to be offering. What he seems to be offering is a peace so out of this world in it that you can have great confidence as you rest in Jesus. What is primarily on offer, it seems to me, through Jesus is not the removal of every challenging situation. And you only have to read the Bible to see that that's true. You only have to read the Apostle Paul's life to see that that's true. Um, so it's not this, but, but the ability to live through those situations without the anxiety and the worry that we carry. The ability to be governed not by our past and by our fears and by our insecurities, but by primarily our acceptance of his acceptance. Or as Isaiah put it, in repentance and rest is your salvation. So what I want to do this morning, I want to take this idea of repentance, and I want to take some things I've been talking about from Luke 15 and put them together and make it hopefully even clearer what, where I've come to in place in terms of what I think repentance is, is all about. So in repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness and trust. So the root uh, Hebrew for repentance is the word shuv. It means to turn back, to return, refresh, repair, reverse go back. Um, and a lot of the time in the Old Testament, you read about uh, a return rather than repent. And that's because that's one of the ways you can 
translate the word. And to a Jewish mind, in terms of all through the Old Testament, to repent wasn't about something that is a mental act. It wasn't about saying sorry, even as perhaps we might have been taught. But it was a movement back towards their original position. So they had gone off and done their own thing. And when Jesus, or God says repent, it's about returning back to doing the things they're meant to be doing. It's about a movement back to their original position. And of course, that's what we see in the prodigal parable in Luke 15. I've told it many times. He, <coughs> the son takes everything, the father's goes away, wastes it all, comes back. And um, I think I'm getting that cold that's going through my family. <laughs> I have a sore throat anyway. <coughs> So what we see in Luke 15 is the son has his speech all prepared. He goes away, loses it all. He has his big speech all prepared. And um, when you look at that speech, you realize he's not really saying sorry in any sense of the word. And he doesn't really want to be back with dad. The reason that he's heading home is because he's hungry. So this this prodigal is not like, oh, I've really hurt dad. Oh, I've brought shame on him. He's more like, this food's rubbish. There's better food at dad's house. I think I'll go there. That's what's going on in his, in his return. He's heading back home. It's not about being with dad. It's not because he knows he's broken dad's heart and wants to be in relationship with him. He's still, just like at the very beginning, he wants dad's things more than he wants dad. He's still in that place. He left because he wanted dad's things. Didn't want anything to do with dad, but wanted all dad's stuff, everything dad could give him. And even now, he's going back to get dad's stuff. He's not really interested in dad. He doesn't yet understand the issue because the real issue was not the broken law the money, but the broken relationship. He still thinks the issue is the money he's lost and the consequences of that on his future. But that's not the issue. That's not the issue Father's bothered about. Father's not too concerned that he's lost all the money. Father's bothered because he's not in relationship anymore. That's what Father's concerned about. The problem is not the broken law, but the broken relationship. Here's the thing. It's always about the relationship. We get so confused in thinking it's about the, this thing we've done. No, no, it's always about the relationship. If you think about it, every, every time we get something wrong or we, we sin, to use that biblical word, at the end of the day, it's always about the relationship that's broken more than anything else because that's what matters to dad. It's not so much what you did or said or didn't do or didn't say. It's the fact that there's, there's a break in relationship because we know his greatest desire is to be in relationship and for us to be in relationship with one another. So the deepest issue is always about relationship. So any, any repentance, whatever that looks like, should always be about doing what we can to be back to relationship. Whether that's relationship with ourselves, with God, with others, being in relationship is key. The root issue is never really about the words or the lack of words or the lack of actions, the ways we've been harmful to others are to ourselves. At the end of the day, it's about when we get something wrong, we have broken relationship. And the heart of God is that we would fix, fix, that's the wrong word, put that relationship back in a place. So the whole point of, of saying sorry, of repenting, of coming back together, is not, it's not really about what you did wrong. It's about the fact that because you've done this thing wrong, there's now a fissure, there's a break, there's something gone wrong. And that's what needs putting back together. But sometimes I think we get so, so and it's the same with, in terms of God. We get so bothered about what we've done or not done or said or not said, we forget that's really the side issue. That's just the result of it. That's what we've done. But actually, he's going, I just want to be in relationship with you. And I want us to, to, to know that we're together. And when you look at the story in Luke 15, that's what we see. Father's most interested in being in relationship with the son, and the order's really important. 
Now, I grew up in the church in the 1990s. So in 1990, I was 13. I know it's incredible to think, isn't it? But there we go. And uh, I was brought up on some ideas of repentance. I was brought up on this idea of Romans Road. So four verses from Romans that you could take people through the gospel. I was brought up on the A, B, C, D of the gospel, okay? And I want, I want to explore them because, so this was, this was how I, as a teenager, got taught you would lead somebody to Jesus, but it also taught me how to repent, if you like. So the first thing you had to do, it's A, B, C, D, it's all very 1990s. Uh, you, had, you had to admit that you'd sinned. You had to go, hey, I'd done something wrong. I'm, I'm a sinner. And then you had to believe in Jesus and the fact that he loved you. And then you had to confess your sin and say, no, I, I recognize I, I have sinned, but then I've got to confess it. I've got to speak it out. And then you would decide to walk a new path. And that's the bit of repentance that traditionally I got taught because it also means, or the Greek word means, uh, turn 180 degrees and walk a different direction. And then after you'd done all that, you were welcomed back in a father's arms. And if you think about it, because I've pondered it a little bit uh, this last few days, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's t- nobody ever put the last one on there. So it was always just A, B, C, D. There was, there was never the bit you got welcomed back into Father's arms, but you kind of worked out that that was at the end of the list. That was what happened towards the end. There was a process through which you could walk people through, and it was also a pattern, as I said. So every time I realized I got it wrong, I understood I had to go through this process But more importantly, I understood it was only after I'd gone through this process I could possibly be welcomed into the arms of Father. So I'd sit there. So if you think back to the prodigal son, you know, he's outside the house. My my version of it was, well, Dad was inside the house, and I was outside the house. And when I'd gone through this process, just like the prodigal son thinks he has to, that's why he has a speech all prepared. Then I might be allowed back inside Dad's house. So I had to admit myself I'd done something wrong. I'd made an unhealthy choice, I'd sinned, whatever. Then I had to choose to believe Jesus loved me and died for my sin and I could be forgiven. Which is quite tough to do when you feel terrible for letting him down and you feel you're unworthy of any love or affection. And consciously or unconsciously, you recognize you are not in his arms right now. That's quite hard to do. But hey, you've just got to believe and you'll be okay. I'm not saying this was how it was spoken to me, but this is how I understood it. This is how I received it. And I think many other people received it like this as well. Then you had to confess your sin to Jesus and preferably to somebody else. Well, that was terrifying because there was not the level of transparency and openness and vulnerability that there is now. Not, where, not in the circles I lived in anyway. And from your face, it's not in yours either. Especially because I was a pastor's kid. Uh, so my dad became a pastor when I was about 12, 13. So I grew up in a church where I was the pastor's kid. And I always felt like I'd be better than anyone else because my dad was the assistant pastor. I would be playing football in the youth hall and they would, people would come in and go, Adam, you should know better because I was the pastor's kid. So we'd all get told off, but I should know better because I'm the pastor's kid. So I lived with all that sort of stuff. And so you're the pastor's kid, so you're meant to do better anyway. And the thought of even admitting you're doing anything wrong was even more scary because you just should know better. So that just piled the guilt on, you know. Thank you. Uh, and of course, at this stage in the process, you, as far as you're concerned, you're outside the house. You, you've not been welcomed in the arms of Jesus because apparently, although he loves you, you've got to throw the, go through this whole process in order to be welcomed back as some penitent sinner. That's how I felt, I think. I don't think I realized it at the time, but I think now, that's how I felt. No wonder, I, I think I shared the other day, you know, I'd, 
uh, at university. I had this, for some reason, I got a big bedroom in my uni house. I don't really understand why, but I did anyway. Uh, I paid £25 a week for my flat in Fenham. Yeah, no, it, it really, I should have paid 15 honestly. It wasn't good. But anyways, this is 1996, I don't know, something like that. Anyways, um, my dad once came. And I said, do you want some coffee? He said, no, I've seen you wash, I've seen your kitchen, I've brought my own. <laughs> <laughs> he literally bought his own flask, his own cup, his own tea, everything, just brought everything his own. The landlord once, once decided to do the bathroom out, which we thought was wonderful, what he didn't tell us was that a bathroom suite would live in the lounge for six months before it got fitted. That was all right, you could sit in bath and watch telly, so. <laughs> and we're not, no taps there, of course. Anyways, we don't need to go into my university days. Um, so I thought I had to walk through all this process. Then you had to decide to walk a new path because you knew you had to bear fruit worthy of repentance. Obviously, words, uh, either John or Jesus, one of them said it. We had to make sure there was a change and you didn't do that again. And then after you'd gone through this whole process, you could be welcomed back into loving, smiling Jesus' arms. And in one sense, there's not much wrong with it. Other than when you read Luke 15 and you start to see the true heart of Jesus, it's all a bit back to front. Because what happens when we try and follow this process, when we follow a process that tells us we've got to jump through all these stages in order to be welcomed back into his arms, is that we get stuck. Because there's an underlying assumption in this process that it's only when you've gone through the four steps that you're welcomed into the arms of Father. It's this idea we're outside and that steps like the ones I've described are ones that allows us to get back into the house. As though admitting, believing, confessing and deciding are these keys that unlock the door to being welcomed home. Or perhaps we could say this, I had assumed that repenting unlocked the door to love again. I had assumed that repenting unlocked the door to love again. My repentance was the key that would unlock the door for love to flow. And it only really hit me how deep that was in my soul as I pondered these things. And then I realized why I did some of the things I did and why I felt quite distant from Jesus and why I didn't feel like I could run to him and all that sort of stuff because I, everything was dependent upon me. Even though the gospel message that I'd heard and responded to and, and shared as best I could was, was, hey, he's here, he loves you. But then it's like I, I kind of... I kind of came to know him and then decided I had to go through this process to be loved again somehow. We seem to have believed that going through a repentance process of admitting, believing, confessing and deciding are the keys that unlock the door to being welcomed home. That's not the story Jesus tells. He tells it in an entirely different order. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Then he said to him, Father, I have sinned against... Then the son said to him, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Father is not waiting in the house for the son to run through his A, B, C, D prayer before he'll open the door. And yet I think many of us were taught that. And subconsciously, lots of us still live like that. We live like that every time we think we can't go home or don't deserve to go home. Every time the shame and guilt tell us it's not possible to go home and that we must do A, B, C, D to get home. But according to the story Jesus tells, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. You see, for many years I believed father was in the house and that when I had cracked the password by saying all the right things, 
and feeling terrible enough about it for long enough, he would come out of the house and solemnly allow me to come back in. But even my coming back in wasn't met with love and joy. It was almost like I knew it was a temporary thing until I got it wrong again and was kicked back out again. Dad's welcome was a begrudging one with that look in his eye that just knew it wouldn't last very long. That was my experience, and it may well have been yours too. It may still be yours to some degree. But I've come to see it a different way. And I've come to see it through my own parenting and more recently watching others parent toddlers. And I didn't understand it at first, but I think I get it now. What I see and understand now is that we respond much better to love than we do fear. We respond much better when we feel safe and secure. What I see when I watch some parents with their toddlers is they don't withhold affection when those children get it wrong. In that moment when they're caught, as it were, I see them reach out and give assurance that the kids are loved and precious and that no action will break that love. But I also see those parents deal with the issue and that there are consequences to actions because if we never see them, we'll never learn. And as I've pondered it over the last little while, I've come to see the incredible value and the need for, for, for repentance to come through security. You see, my upbringing, and actually the way I probably brought my kids up as well, was when you've said sorry, you're welcome back. I operated in my own kids the way I thought God was. You've made a mistake. You're going to sit there and think about it. You're going to come and say sorry. And then at the end, you'd get a hug. And I think I'd have been a better dad, an even better dad, because I was all right. If I'd have held them first and gone, I love you very much. And what you've done is not going to stop that. But I want you to sit and think about it because we're going to have to talk about it. I think that's what Father does. I think that's what he's like. And I'm a little bit good. I'm only just seeing it now. But God knows. We can only do our best with what we know and what we've got. Of course, I very much doubt this was anywhere near your experience when you were young. In fact, far from it. Particularly if you're older than me. I don't think many of us, when we got it wrong as children, had arms wrapped around us and told us it would be okay. I think most of us, some of us were lucky to get a hug at the end of it. Most of us perhaps were lucky to get a hug at the end of it. Nevertheless, I see this is how Jesus models the return of the prodigal to the father. The first thing that happens is that Father goes out to him and reassures him of his love and affection, and then the son can bring his apology and confession. And although it's not in this short story, I'm sure they talked about it even more. So what I want to help you to see this morning is that some of the ABCD slides the wrong way around. We've been taught for so long through, through church, through our, the own ways we've been parented, through our own parenting, that, that, that there's like, when you say and do all the right things, you welcome back. And please don't, I am not going to feel condemned for that because I did my best at the time. So don't put anything on you if you're going, oh yeah, shucks, I should have done that better. It's okay. Listen, you do the best with what you know. I, I, I was the best that I could be with what I knew at the time. That's all I could do. I can't do any more than that. I can only be the best I can be with what I know. And I will not have the enemy say any nonsense 
that I should have done better. I can't do better if I don't know better. Cannot do better if I don't know better. But hopefully, hopefully, my ceiling is somebody else's floor. And hopefully, through the generations, we can see these things come up past more and more. That's my prayer. We've been taught for so long in all sorts of ways that it's only when we do A, B, C, D that the arms are open. But it's not the model Jesus shares. In the Jesus model, what was step five, being welcomed back in a father's arms, is actually step one. That's what happens first. First of all, we're welcomed back in a father's arms. First of all, we're held. First of all, we're there. And then, yes, that process is really important. I'm not ditching the process, I realize, a few weeks ago, some of you might, might have been flipping heck, is Adam ditching all this stuff? No, no, no. No, I'm not ditching the process. I'm just saying the order needs to be the right way around. The process is important. Yes, we've got to teach our kids to say sorry. We've got to teach them to admit they got it wrong. We've got to do that to each other and to Jesus. We've got to go through this process. We've got to admit. We've got to confess. We've got to believe and trust in love that's coming our way. And we've got to decide to do something different because those choices that are unhealthy hurt people, including ourselves, and we don't want to do that. So, hey, that's all fantastic. But let's start at the starting point where Jesus starts and where the Father starts. Let's, let's start in our relationship with him. We don't work through the steps in order to be welcomed in. We work through the steps because we've been welcomed in. We don't work through it in order to get there, but because we've been welcomed in, then you go, okay, well, now I want to. I want to do that now because I don't want to cause this pain again. I don't want to cause this separation again. So now in that place, you actually want to do it. Whereas before you're going, oh, it's just night and day, isn't it? You know, because you've been there. We don't do it in order to be welcomed in. We do it because we're being welcomed in. I want you to grasp just how vital this is and how important it is for you as you walk with Jesus. When you get it wrong, which you will, because you're a human being on the earth east of Eden, I want you to know there is no four-step program you have to run through to be welcomed into his arms. Admitting, believing, confessing, deciding, praying, reading, whatever. There is no program to run through to be welcomed into his arms. None of that unlocks the door to love because, hey, the whole point of the cross is that you're always welcomed home. That's what the cross is for, to welcome you home. You don't need to do anything else because you're already home. He already welcomed you home. And, and, and the cross is that you're always welcomed home and the door of love would always be open. But we believe we've got to go through all these steps to somehow open the door when the door's already been opened. Now walk through the door. And then in the house, we do it. In his arms, we do it. In the place of his presence. Of course, we admit, believe, confess. What those things do do is they allow you to grow. They allow you to change. But they have nothing to do with being loved. Nothing to do with being loved. You're already welcomed into his arms as soon as you express a desire to be welcomed. Do you remember the son? Father's waiting on the doorstep and he runs towards him. Towards him. Don't even wait for him to get to the property edge. In that place of welcome and acceptance with the Father, we admit, we believe it, we confess, and we decide. But it starts in that place. I want to end with a little challenge. It's a challenge to myself as well as a challenge to you to be more like Father. Can I suggest, when we're dealing with others, when we're sharing with others who have hurt us, and they're coming to us to say sorry, can we be more like Father? Could we be more like Father? 
can we be a people who don't make others jump through hoops before we welcome them back with open arms? But before they even say sorry, we hold them, we reassure them, we bless them. You see, a lot of the time, a lot of the time when people have hurt us, and this is just, this is just being human, okay? This is just being human. When people have hurt us, we want them to suffer a little bit. You can admit it, it's okay, you're a human being. When they've hurt us, it's quite nice to see them groveling a little bit. Okay, all right, I'm just going to say it, you all feel it, I know, because you're a human being. There's been times when you have quite enjoyed the fact that they're suffering a little bit, because there's something in you that wants revenge. There's something in you that wants to equal the thing. But hey, hey, the Father absorbs all the cost. The Father absorbs it. I want to be, when I see somebody who I know has hurt me, I want to be the person who goes up, holds them and goes, I love you. It's okay. And hopefully then we'll have a conversation. But even if we don't, well, the Father still loves them, doesn't he? Father still cares for them. Of course, there'll be a place for admitting, believing, confessing, and deciding. That's our relationship, and especially trust to restart. So it's really important. But could we dare to be a people who reach out like the Father, even in our own relationship? Could we dare to be the ones who run towards, not waiting for the apology? Not making people suffer, wondering how we're going to respond for a few hours, a few days, a few weeks. Could we be people? But here's the thing, though. You can't do that until you learn to receive it from Father. You won't be able to do that. And I don't suggest you try, because it'll just kill you on the inside. It'll kill you on the inside if you've not learned to do it with Father yet. But hey, so first of all, Let's learn to do it with the Father. Let's learn that when you sit there and go, Jesus, I know I've got this wrong. You cannot picture yourself outside the house trying to put a, a password in and get access to it. No, you're already in his arms the whole time. You've got to go, okay, Father, I'm in your arms. You already love me. You've already dealt with it. But I want to share it with you because I want to grow and I want to change and I want to be transformed. And if you are somewhere near that place, and I doubt it'll be many of us, but if you're somewhere near that place, what might it mean to do that to other people? What might that mean? I don't know, but I tell you what. When we manage to get there, it will be transformative. Utterly transformative. But again, Let's not be too concerned about where we are on the journey. Let's thank God that we're on the journey. Let's not beat ourselves up because we're not quite there yet and it's been a bit challenging this morning in terms of loving people. But please remember that first you welcome back into his arms. And then, yeah, admit, believe, confess, decide. Fantastic. But first you're there. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that each of us would glimpse the depth of your love to a whole new level. 
Father, it's completely alien to us at times, Lord, your ability to love us and your ability to love others. But most of all, your ability to love us because we know all about us. We know our innermost thoughts. We know all our past. We know all the things we've said and done and dreamt. We know it all, Father. And yet, Lord, you do too. And still you love us. And I'm asking, Father, for a revelation in our hearts, a deeper revelation in our hearts, that we are always in your arms. And Lord, I'm asking that you would help us more and more and more to understand what it really means to, be, to repent and the starting place of that repentance. That we would understand, Lord, that we are wrapped up in you in every way. In the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know what? Let's just spend a little, a few moments with him now. Okay, this is what I want you to do. Because it may well be that as I've been talking, some of you have just become aware. Aware of something in your heart. Something that you're not proud of or pleased about. Maybe it's something you've been aware of for a while, but struggled to think you could share it with him. But right now, whatever this means for you, I just want to say you're with him. That might mean in his arms, it might mean in a house with him, it might mean in heaven with him, it might mean physically sat next to you, whatever it means for you. But Father, we just choose to see ourselves as we really are. Before we've said a word, before we've gone through any process or steps, we're with you wrapped up in you. And just in that place, if there's anything you want to tell him, anything you want to say sorry about, just tell him in your heart. Father, I thank you that over 2,000 years ago, everything that was necessary for, for forgiveness to flow happened, Father. And I speak forgiveness, Father. I speak forgiveness, Father, because it flows continually from you. I say that those things which have been shared with you in this moment, Lord, they are forgiven and wiped clean. And I speak peace into people's hearts, Father speak peace into their hearts.
Yeah, Lord. In Jesus' name.